What's going on, everybody? It is Dan from the Top 10% Podcast, and uh, it is Wednesday, September 14th. Uh, first of all, thank you guys for all of you and all of your support and everybody that's tuned in and um, you know been following along as uh, things have gotten quite busy here for us. Um, as you guys know, um, a couple of the states have opened up, um, and Kentucky was one of them. We were down there for the opener, and uh, things have really, really heated up for the top 10 team. Um, I uh, was able to um, put my tag on a very, very nice big nine that we had some uh, some history with. Um, stay tuned for that story. Some of you guys may have seen that on the Instagram and some of the other posts. So um, without uh, any, any kind of delay, we're going to jump right into what we have this week. Um, I'm probably going to put this one up on the uh, live for Instagram as well. So you may have seen this already, but I'm going to dive right in because everybody's busy and thinking deer. We're going to get into these buck pole results and uh, I'm going to try and make this thing somewhere within the hour so Instagram doesn't kick us out. And uh, if you guys are um, listening along and you still want to get on and um, fill out the buck pole, look at any of our Instagram um, my Instagram for the top 10% podcast. And there is a link right at the top in the highlights and we should be able to, uh, get you, um, get you on there. I'm going to leave it open, but I'm going to freeze the results so we can see anything new that comes in. Uh, thank you guys for all of you that did, uh, chime in and, uh, fill that out. Um, you're going to get some really good content and some information on this. So, uh, either way, we're going to get right into it. So, uh, enjoy. Thanks again, <laughs> bro. I just shot T-Bar. Oh my God. Look at that tall. This episode of the Top 10% Podcast is brought to you by Top 10% Hunting Headquarters, located in Coldwater, Michigan, your premier AR manufacturing outlet. Let's get back to your host, Dan Carter, of the Top 10% Podcast. Welcome back to the Top 10% Podcast. It is me, Dan, your host again. And uh, this week, we're uh, bringing you another boy from the South, um, Hunter Ogle. He is uh, the the man down there at Superior Outdoors in uh, Jenna, Louisiana, and uh, we're going to bring him on with you here in just a second. We've got Hunter with us, and uh, let him tell you a little bit about himself, give you a brief introduction, and then we'll kind of dive right in and talk about uh, some different things with, with him and uh, the area. So, Hunter, welcome on, man. What's going on, brother? <laughs> Well, we appreciate you jumping on, you know, from uh, many miles away. So you guys got to be getting close to getting into season. Things are starting to heat up down there, if I'm not not correct, right? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, you know, our, our opener here is over the farm. Uh, everybody's getting ready, coming in, buying bows, getting stands, you know, getting ready for season. Uh, a lot of scouting going on, a lot of deer camera pictures being shared, you know, sure. stuff like that. 
All right. Well, tell me a little bit. That's that's great. You know, I, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Obviously, we, we kind of briefed on that now. And we know that uh, Donnie was, uh, you know, Island Boy was was kind enough to put us in contact with you. And, and we appreciate, you know, that connection. And obviously, anything that we can do for you guys and, and vice versa, you know, that's kind of the red direction we're going and, and kind of keeping like minded people in the same same circle. You know what I mean? Welcome back to the Top 10% Podcast. Thank you guys for, for again, for joining us and all of you that are liking and subscribing and following on YouTube. Uh, stay tuned. we got a bunch of new content coming there. But um, nonetheless, hold on one second here in podcast land as I'm going to dial this in live. And we're going to get a connection. We're going to get some Instagram followers so welcome in Instagram for those of you guys that are following along on the page. Um, we are going to be conducting episode 34 here, a little bit different. Um, this is going to be a review of the bunk poll that we put out a while back. So if you um, are are just now... Um, you know, tuning in and you didn't fill out the buck poll, I am going to leave that up and allow you guys to, um, to go in there and fill that out, kind of get your information in there, but I'm going to freeze it on what the results are for today. So I'm just going to blaze through there. There's only like 22, 23 questions. Um, they're pretty fun questions, but they're going to help you guys out in some kind of some angles. Maybe you'll get something away from this. I hope, um, something that's going to give you, um, some sort of, you know, extra little edge, you know what I mean? We're all about constantly learning and, uh, you know, you hear travel and I talk about, you know, my favorite saying that was told to me a long time ago. And that's if you're the smartest person in the room, get the hell out of the room and, uh, and learn something. So nonetheless, um, this one's going to be on uh, Spotify and, uh, Apple as well here shortly, uh, probably tomorrow or the next day. Um, again, uh, tune into our YouTube. If you haven't liked and subscribed and followed along on our YouTube, it's top 10% hunting and, um, you're going to get some new content weekly. Um, maybe even a little faster than that. If we can get it out, just depending on how fast we can get, uh, who, uh, you know, cooter to, to jam through these. So, um, as you all know, I appreciate your patience on this episode. Uh, we were in Kentucky for the opener um, that opened on the 3rd. Uh, I was able to tag out down there on the 4th, so that story's coming. Thank you to all of you guys that kind of uh, jumped in and the congratulations and all the high fives and attaboys and everything. We, you know, Top 10 appreciates that and, and myself included. So nonetheless, um, let's dive right into this. Um, what I'm going to do is as I go through these, I'm going to go through the questions and then I'm just going to give you kind of a percentage um, if it's a percentage driven question, and then I'm going to talk about it, but you guys feel free to jump in and, um, add your, uh, your extra sense, if you will, um, as far as whether or not, um, you know, you have a question about something that we're talking about or, you know, anything of that nature. So, um, nonetheless, let's see here. Um, Let's get right in here to um, the first question uh, is, how many deer have you, and this is going to be whitetail driven, uh, all you guys out there that are out west, elk and stuff like that, obviously we would love to have some more information, but 
I'm just not well versed in elk. Would love to be. Would love to learn more and eventually get out there and hunt some. But um, that's a, that's to be another another time. So uh, again, whitetail base. So uh, how many whitetail deer have you harvested over 150 inches? So based on the demographic, and I will tell you that we had a hell of a turnout on um, participants for the. Um, on participants for the uh, the buck pole itself and percentages of people that have you know came in here and participated, we do thank you for those of you that haven't. And again, in the highlights on the top, you can go in and fill that out. Um, if you if you definitely if you want to participate now after listening in, so the first one this puts it in uh, a little bit of a perspective. On where, and then the next question will help that out too. But um, looking at numbers wise, um, the way that this question played out, it was you had four options basically zero, you've never harvested any, um, and then you had one to five, and then five to 10, and uh, 10 plus 150 inch deer. Now, a lot of our participants probably are Michigan based. I did look at the participant list, and it does go all over the place. Um, so that, that is definitely, um, a good thing. And we wanted that demographic to be Midwest and South and everywhere. So, um, the first one, not surprising. There is, uh, 61% of the people out there, um, had harvested a deer, uh, excuse me, had not harvested a deer over 150 inches at all. So kind of gives you an idea where in the next question will help that as far as where what happens um now the remaining that remaining 45 or 40 percent uh 39 percent falls into most of those are going to fit that one to ten category um i only really had a very small amount of um, participants that were were over that 10 plus it has to be expected i mean 150 inch deer is is that's that's a great deer anywhere um and uh you know good job so now we're going to move into um you know if you guys got something on that one feel free to to chime in or message us if you have more so as we move into the second question this will help kind of dial this in a little bit more so Anything over 120 inches up to 150 inches. Now, this is where the numbers really started to to jump a little bit. Um, about only about 18% had not ever harvested anything over 120 inches. So when you start taking that extra, um, you know, 82% roughly, they had harvested, you know. You know, and at this one, it jumps up and it puts us in with, uh, let's see, looking at these numbers, it puts us in high percentage numbers. We've got 25% of these people fell in the, um, in the over 10. Um, and then we had another, say, 50% that were that 1 to 10 spectrum. So that kind of gives you an idea um what's up man uh thanks for joining in man appreciate it yeah it's a that was a good deer I'm, I'm i'm happy with it in velvet too my first ever velvet kill so if you guys haven't seen that the deer is up on you've seen it on the, on the posts prior so jump in there and see it and then stay tuned for the footage to hit i hope 
and maybe next week I'm I'm gone again this weekend, so we'll see what next weekend presents or next week presents. I think we'll get that added up there. So on to the next. Um, apologize for that. Just sitting my cup of coffee down. Um, on to the next one. Uh, next question that was: What is your preferred weapon of choice? Your options were compound bow, traditional bow, crossbow, firearm, muzzleloader. I can tell you this was a landslide, and this archery equipment was like 95%. Um, As myself, I prefer archery equipment, and I'm not the guy that is going to beat you up for using a crossbow. Um, Any kind of archery equipment, it takes takes skill, even with some of these new ones that uh, people are reaching out and touching deer at long distances. Don't necessarily always recommend that without practice. Practice within your means and harvest whatever you would like, but... Again, practice, practice, practice. It creates confidence. So yeah, 80, 87% of that, um, you know, was of that 95% was uh, compound, um, and we didn't have any you know, any real major contributors from a traditional bow side, which surprised me a little bit because I know that the traditional stuff is coming back a lot. So. Um, sounds like we're all uh we like to do it with stick and string so that's uh that's a great thing so all right as we move into uh question four what's your favorite way to hunt whitetails and i guess from a favorite way perspective this would be um whether it is and i'll give you these options tree stand saddle ground blind elevated blind spot and stock run and gun um, and then I did put in an option for other, um, there was some other options that people wanted to kind of contribute, um, that were, uh, a few different, a few different things. Um, and they were mostly mixture guys that like to do the run and gun. And then the guys that weren't, they were doing saddle stuff. So with this one, what it does is it really, um, it really, it really shines tree stand or saddle. I mean, if we put the two of them together, we're almost 75%. Um, if we put in the elevated blind along with that, that puts us 80% of us, 80, 82% if you want to be um, exact, that prefer to hunt from an elevated position, whether that is in a tree stand or in um, a, you know, a box blind or a redneck blind or something like that. And we're not sponsored by redneck, but you know, Hey, um, you know, whatever, whatever company you choose, muddy, whatever it may be. Um, it is definitely a great thing. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a great thing to be able to get in, um, an elevated position and be able to get your, your advantage point, whether that's five feet, 10 feet, 25 feet, whatever your preferred is. So, um, I myself, tree stand guy, um, I did get in the saddle game. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying kind of learning that here, um, around the house and, uh, ready to get it into play as I start, uh, you know, heading all over the Midwest seasons are starting to open slowly, but surely, um, Missouri opens tomorrow. Um, we are not there. Some of the guys are still in Kentucky trying to fill tags. Uh, congratulations to the sea King Dale also on a nice buck Dale. Good job, buddy. Um, that was a, that's a decent buck over there. And, you know, on the other, other side of Kentucky from, from one of our farms there, but, um, nonetheless, um, 
So the guys are trying to dial it in down there. Hopefully we can get Kyle and Tribal on, uh, you know, with a story on here soon as well. Um, we are going to do one on mine here, probably the next episode. So stay tuned for that. But uh, again, back to it here. So question five. Um, all right, this one, where have you harvested most of your bucks? And this was going to be a public versus private land deal um we did get a pretty good mix of guys like myself um that have done some public and have done some private um there's about uh, 11 that way um and then we did have um about 70 percent of our people were on private whether that was private leased private permission or um private that they owned as well or family owned or anything like that. So, and the rest of the guys is, you know, was, was a solid, uh, solid public land. So that we're definitely seeing a surge in, um, a little bit more of the public land stuff, which, you know, Hey, I, I love it. It's great. You know, public land stuff is the, the latest, greatest kind of, I don't want to call it a fad cause it's not cause people have been hunting public land for a long time, but the guys are actually getting out there and grinding a little harder and they're being really successful and, um, it's good to see them out there doing that. So, Excuse me. So on to um, the next one. Favorite areas to hunt. So this one is where we start to start dialing in as far as locations or what we're looking for. Um, the options were big woods, swamp, fields, river bottom, and other. When it comes to the other stuff you got a lot of the stuff that guys like myself transitions funnel saddles those kind of fit in there that was some of the stuff that i've seen in the other comments that was only about 10 percent of our guys that were in there and said hey aside from here this is where i like to be um i would say this one was a straight up tie between big woods and swamp and I think that just depends on where you're at. If you're, you know, in the hill country of Ohio or you're in the swamp up north here in Michigan or, you know, just depending on where you're at, vast plains, fields. Um, we did get a mix of that. Um, myself, I really, man, I like the swamp a lot that's kind of because i grew up hunting the edges and funnels and draws around that or uh, you know hardwood ridges and you know that created you know pinches or draws out into a swamp that created a, like a like a funnel or um just transitions uh the other thing uh, you know but i just i'm partial to a river or a creek bottom for whatever reason as long as it's not in hill country that's a whole different conversation and talking about thermals and and you know we can get into some of that if you guys want, but that's going to put it where you really got to start paying attention, especially getting down in those bottoms and doing different things. So the transition points or hunting the turkey foots or any of those, um, you know, that upper third of, of those, those hill country places that that's a good spot or, you know, bottom, you know, upper half. It just depends. I do. I will sneak down in there. 
Um, but you got to be cautious. Got to be very cautious. And there's a lot of stuff out there right now where guys are talking about that that side of um, hunting those areas. But um, the big woods, um, not a lot of big woods experience for myself. I have hunted um, some big woods areas, hill country stuff, um, big woods when I was in North Carolina, some of that stuff. Um, a lot of field edges, transition inside corners, double insides. Um, different areas that way but it seems to be that the prominent were almost almost river big woods and swamp were pretty close we we're literally almost four percent different between the three of those so it seems like everybody else is kind of on the same page as well so uh let's jump into the next one um this one is kind of i threw this one out there just because i wanted to see a little bit more on the demographic as far as where people were from or if they were traveling to hunt or what they're doing. Uh, so this one kind of was what state have you harvested most of your bucks? This was a broad mix all over the place. Um, I let people, I give you an option of Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, Wisconsin, a mix of multiples and other. Um, we did get a few contributors um, of other um most uh looks like we got a mix for most of the guys and then we have it looks like our big state players were uh we got some michigan guys we had a handful of guys from indiana um illinois was big ohio uh and iowa and then Iowa, Kansas were pretty close. So we got uh, we got some good numbers. I mean, so a lot of Midwest stuff. I do got a few guys that were, I, I did have some Tennessees. I did have some Georgias, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, which is good. So in, in, in comparison, what we're looking for, uh, what's up, Kyle? Well, in comparison, what we're looking for is where these guys or gals had harvested the most deer over 120 inches. So we're trying to get you guys a little bit of, kind of some trends or something where you can apply yourself and say, okay, this, these guys like hunting here. This is what they were doing and why they were doing it and what States they were doing it in. And, you know, obviously travels big. Uh, we're constantly traveling and grinding all over. So, um, you're going to see our numbers be right down at the bottom with a mix of multiples. Um, myself and the rest of the team included. So question eight, um, this is going to be this one's a little bit this one's a little bit tricky and this one sparked some some intriguing uh, you know interest from me as well. What is the most important deer sign you look for to plan your hunts on a big buck? So scrape or scrape line, robber rub line, bedding area. If you're hitting tracks, um, trails. Or visually, can't talk. Visually locating um, some deer preseason. I think probably should have thrown in trail cameras into this um, as far as a placement item, but it was it was more of a tool. So we will get to that a little bit later. Um, and uh, but percentage wise, it looks like most of of the the folks are are grinding at that like high 47, 48% on bedding area shortly to be followed by um, rubs and scrape lines were um, the next 25% there. Not to be um, 
not to be surprised. Uh, I know sometimes early preseason stuff, the visual stuff can be good, especially if you're scouting bean fields and you you got a good uh, good buck located. Um, and I know uh, a lot of the hill country and a lot of the different areas, it makes it difficult to do that um, and, and locate some of that stuff where you get some of these regions where you can't see the back of a bean field and it just gets hammered um, with deer that you know are just beyond a ridge. Um, and that's where the other tools come into play. But um, the biggest looks like the biggest thing is going to be the bedding stuff. And, and that's been, it's been great for me too. If you find bedding areas and, um, you know, get close, get close and, and cut them off between, between bedding and food. Um, nobody, uh, made an honorable mention on this one for, um, a, you know, hunting over food. I know even the places that they can bait or do things like that, you know, obviously more power to you if you can do it. You know, Travel says this all the time, and I know he's watching. Um, you know, if you if you can put it out there, corn is king. You know, if you can get the uh, you know get the corn out there, you know the deer are going to come to that. Unfortunately, it's not allowed here in Michigan. Um, I think the UP they're still allowed baiting. Uh, don't quote me on that. Check your regs. But in any state, if you got the opportunity to do that, um, it'll get your inventorying. You know, kind of give you a, you know a leg up if you can. So um, do it however you would like. Uh, other things that need to be mentioned in that, um, really, the scrape thing, I, I like the scrapes. I like the mock scrape deal. Um, have always used them. Um, I think it's more so creating something that it it's going to give them something to focus on or they're going to come to in between that transition between bedding and food. Um, even in rut, you know what I mean? If you've got a scrape and you've got something there, I mean, those bucks are going to come, you know, they're going to check those scrapes, but most likely they're going to check them from, you know, the downwind side of the scrape. So they may not even come to the scrape. They may not check that at all. They may not hit it for three, four, five days, but they may just cruise through somewhere in that, um, they may, you know, cruise through in that area and, and just check that from the downwind side. And it may be, you know, just outside of bedding. They may be cruising downwind of the bedding. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, plan of attacks come from us kind of hitting them on the, uh, close to bedding, but where are they going to be checking that bedding from? Well, how are they going to be moving from one area to the next when it comes to the rut? So, um, either way, we'll move on to the next one. So, uh, what is the tactic that has created the most success on Big Box for you? Options were uh, rattling, grunting, mock scrapes, uh, food plots, baiting were legal, minerals were illegal, uh, kind of falls in the same, um, or uh, online scouting or different types of um you know, options there. And then I did do an honorable mention for an other. Um, we did get some some other stuff that come in here where, um, and I'll go through here and look at it. Um, we get some comedy um, in these where a lot of the other was just uh, being lucky. And um, I'll tell you what, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. So I can't, I can't complain about the luck side. Um, patience, consistence, um, and being confident. Um, trail camera movement, all of those items are going to be um, huge. But let me get back here, and then we'll give you some percentages on what these are. Um, so grunts, grunting's been been huge. I would assume that's going to be snort wheezes, grunting, 
any of that stuff is going to get some deer's attentions. Uh, what up, Jason? Um, and the other thing, let's see, grunting was a pretty high. It was about 25% was grunting. Mock scrapes um, come in there at about 17. Um, food plots, 20%. People had a lot of success over food plots, as we have, um, getting the deer to, to come in there. And, you know, especially early season or late season, the food plots can be, they can be money. Um, the other one that, uh, I, I, you know, in our region, a lot of times rattling isn't always, you know, if you're a Michigan guy, you know, rattling, it's not like what you see on TV or, you know, what these guys portray in Iowa or Kansas where, you know, these, these deer come running or Texas and they hit the antlers and all of a sudden they got 20 bucks coming from all different directions. Um, but we did see, you know, about 10% people that have had some luck that way. And surprising, I didn't have a lot of, on the baiting side, which is, I, I like to see that, but then again, like I said, like Travel says, corn is king. If, if, if you can put it out and put it out there, um, it's going to keep those deer coming and it's, it's going to bring the ladies. And if you got a ladies' night at the right time, then uh, you're going to have some bucks in there. So, uh, nonetheless, moving on. Um, just checking our time here so I can make sure I get through all these. Um, the next one was what do you use trail cameras for? Um, I give you four options. One of them was just an other just to see. Um, and number one, inventory box, travel patterning, and for um, visiting us scrapes. And what I got is about the same for buck inventory and uh, patterning their travel uh, within the transitions and, and corridors. We were about 45% on one and 38% on the other. So looking at this, you know, we did have a small percentage, about 10%, 12% that, um, you know, on, on monitoring scrapes and, and things of that nature. Um, I do like them for monitoring scrapes early on, um, trying to kind of get an inventory, especially in an area that you're putting out mock scrapes to, um, you know, kind of get your inventory or know what's going on. I, I put a couple out just this week um, and some cameras on those just because I know what's going to happen in those transitions and where to look for those, uh, those bucks that are going to be traveling through. And I know that it's going to heat up and I'm going to get some on camera as we start creeping into like the mid, you know, October as they start going on. Um, so um, let's see. Jason said he left another comment in there, and I knew it was going to be him. Let's see. Well, you have, you have Joe in there um, as well. Joe does the uh, – he's inventory in for coyotes, which we all know that we need to eliminate those coyotes. Apologize for that noise. Um, let's see if we can see what else we got in here. Um, coyotes. Which is good. Which is good. 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 And, and you know, and, and obviously, um, Jason, you know, it's time for us to get out there and start eliminating some more of those coyotes as well. I know you never stopped, but uh, I need to. I need to do that as well. Um, I have not uh, been to my one um, parcel here. That um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You and Joe, for sure. Um, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't been in my one parcel yet, and I know that there's been uh, quite a few dog sightings on on camera there, and uh, a couple of our other farms. We need to do some elimination. So, um, as we get to that point, 
it's a big part of our land management process. And um, if you're not trapping or killing coyotes, you are shooting yourself in the foot. No pun intended. But uh, it's it's hurting your deer your deer numbers for sure. Whether you believe it or not, you know we'll we'll talk about the infamous number nineteen fawns or something one coyote kills i think i i seen that out there so you know you guys coyote guys can confirm um but uh nonetheless coyotes are a different story we'll do coyotes later on and uh, we'll get jason on here and he can talk all coyotes we want we'll get joe and jay flint and um those guys and we'll get ready um and let's go to the next one. Um, all right, so this is where we're going to dive a little, a little more into the trail camera stuff. Where is your trail cameras the most effective at getting you big buck intel that you need or want to be successful? I give you a handful of options, rubs, trails, mock scrapes, food plots, and bedding areas. This, um, the food plot hit for about 28%, and then the trails and transitions were 30 and then mock scrapes kind of come in at 25%. So that was kind of what I would have expected it to be. Um, there's a few guys out there that are monitoring bedding, bedding areas with them. Um, I do, I, I don't like to get into that close into my bedding areas and leave cameras in there unless I put them out way early in their they're just soaker cameras and I'm just leaving them for the whole season and they're going to be next year's Intel or um, I do have a couple at one of my leases that, you know, I need to go and pull and they've been there since last year and they'll tell me, um, and they'll tell me exactly what, uh, you know, what was there and what was going on. And, and, and we just don't want to pressure that and get deep into the bedding. So, um, I agree. Mock scrapes is huge. Uh, food plots is good. Um, those have been, uh, food plots and also whether it be acorn um, pile or mineral sites or anything have been very, very good at giving us an inventory, especially early season. Um, even in states where you have to pull it like Indiana, you've got to have all your mineral and bait out of the area 30 days before season starts. So September 1st, that stuff had to come out when season kicks off on October 1st. So up till those points, um, it's good. And then all of a sudden you start to see a transition of deer start filtering back into your area. Like we are seeing at a couple of our Indiana farms where, you know, now there's no, um, no bait piles and you know excessive mineral piles that they're on the neighbors and, you know, they're starting to trickle back into our plots. So, um, yeah, the water hole has been a good, good thing. Um, I know a few people, I talked to a buddy of mine that he runs a cam on a water spot that he doesn't have any other, um, areas. And we did do a couple videos, travel, did some stuff on some water holes on our YouTube. If you haven't followed on our YouTube, like subscribe, follow, tell a friend, um, you know, get all your family to follow, get us on there and, uh, and watch the videos. Got a lot of new content, coyote content, um, plenty of deer content and some other stuff. Um, but with that, the water hole is a huge thing, especially in these warmer areas. Like, um, you know, I could tell you a couple different places that it's warm and I, you know, one water spot on the farm is just littered, littered with tracks. So don't, uh, don't count those out. Good, good input there, Jason. Uh, on to the next one, number 12. What land feature has led to the most of your big buck success? Um, I kind of figured this one was going to be all over the map, but this one should help you guys. 
Um, there's a few things in here that kind of surprised me that there wasn't more comments or anything on it. Um, I'll read you the options. Travel corridor, transitions, field edges, inside corners or double insides, ridges, valleys, river bottoms or crossings, benches. And then um, I did leave an other area um, for guys to, to you know use travel corridors. And those were those hit for about 30%. And then the transitions and field edges, they were about 20% a piece. So for me, the the travel corridors kind of fits into the, the transitions, kind of fits into the field edges. So between those those three, they can really, really kind of you know overlap a little bit. Um, nobody's getting really risky and getting down in those bottoms or um you know, excuse me, the valleys or anything like that. River bottoms and crossings, um, those did have a strong play at about 15% as well. Um, and the rest of it was just a small a small mix. Uh, I was surprised there wasn't more people with inside corner success. Um, and, you know, I myself, inside corners are huge, whether it's in, you know, uh, agricultural land or it's something that is in a... Um, you know, in, in a transition, it's inside quarter transition in big woods, or you've got like uh, CRP, and then say you've got a, you know, almost like a, a funnel or a transition in the hardwoods, breaking it down into, you know, into a pinch point. I guess that kind of falls into travel corridors, and, but in transitions. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people say field edges, and if I had to guess, most of that field edge success is probably in an inside corner and they're just not even thinking that it's an inside corner. I mean, I know that, um, me personally, um, if I'm looking at field edges, you know, even in big ag country, when I start getting into Illinois or, you know, some of those places that way, um, the, you know, it kind of sucks me into those pinches, pinches between, you know, big ag or inside corners, which a lot of that can be exactly the same. So either way, I hope that helps you guys from, from that aspect. I mean, it, it definitely look for those transitions, look for the funnels, um, learn how to read land, learn how to read a topo. You know, if you, um, you know, there's a couple good books out there. Um, Matt Petropi Whitetails, you know, it's an older book. I think that's a Herndon copy. Um, there's a lot of other guys out there that talk a lot about, um, different pieces of land, uh, whether it's saddles or benches. Um, you, you probably, if you've listened to any of our lives or listened to or watched any of our YouTube stuff, you've heard travel. And I talk about, um, some benches or breaks or, you know, same thing in MBK, um, talks about different, different pieces or different transitions and, in you know, trying to move these deer through, um, or excuse me, not necessarily move them. We can do that. You know, that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, and in a different type of practice, but more so dialing into an area and finding out one, where are you getting the most Intel Two, where can you get the most success? And if I'm looking at this, like I said, the travel corridors, transitions and field edges, um, they're literally covering 70% of, of what we have going on here. And if you're not there on one of them, and get in the river bottoms or, or a creek crossing. Um, just watch the wind, watch the thermals, especially in hill country. Um, just keep in mind and know what the, you know, learn learn wind and learn learn uh, land 
topographic stuff, and I guarantee you that your success will increase. Um, let's go on to the next one here. Um, this one, kind of uh, no surprise to me. Um, this, and I'll break it down a little bit in in a week to week basis. This was what time of season have you had the most success? I give uh, a handful of options. Early velvet stuff, meaning like the August Tennessee hunt or early September seasons when they open up, whether it be like North Dakota, Kentucky, those places. Um, very limited number of guys said or gals said that they had success then. Um, then I did the early season through October 20th. Um, there is a minimum amount of success there. Um, when I say minimum, uh, looks like about uh, 5% or so. Um, October 20th to the 25th, not much um, at all, really, if any. Um, and then the 25th to the 31st, November 1st through the 7th, November 8th through the 15th, November 16th to the 31st, and then December late season, and then January until... Um, end of season. And I did that one just because we do have some places that have an extended season that goes into February and, and times like that, like Ohio. Um, and we did see, um, I've seen some minimal late season success. I personally have had some late season success um, that, that was good um, for me over the course of, um, over the course of years in my hunting career. Um, occasionally, if, if I'm you know, still grinding away, depending on where I'm at. I know the, the late season food plots can be money. Um, you know, they come back to those food source after they've, they've worked hard for the rut. So let's move back up to the 25th to the 31st of October. That accounted for about 20%. I can tell you this for a long time. I would hunt the first one or two days if I knew that I had some intel. And then I really didn't set foot back into the woods until around the 25th. Um, we could talk about mornings and evenings from this. Um, everybody has mixed opinions. I prefer not to hunt mornings until um, late October. Uh, I, just, I, I just don't. Um, you know, and, and there's lots of arguments for that and reasons why I don't. Um, I just feel like it's very difficult to get into, especially if you're hunting some of the early season food sources, it's very difficult to get in there on these deer that may be really close by at that point and you run the risk of bumping them and push them out of there, or, you know, or, um, you know, there, there's a lot to be said from that. That's a different conversation. Excuse me. So, yeah, October 25th to the 31st, starting to get good. I know a lot of guys that have killed, especially here in Michigan, a lot of guys have killed um, good deer in Halloween. Um, I know there's been a couple times in uh, my hunting career where I've been tagged out before Halloween. I know uh, 2010, I believe, I was done by the 30th. I put my second tag on a deer on the 30th, and then a couple other times, I remember another one, maybe a little bit before that. Um, I was done, I think, by like the 27th or something of that. So as we start, as we all know, I mean, we could pick an exact date and everybody would be excited about certain dates. Um, 
I can tell you certain trends in certain areas, certain places that, that I like a certain date, maybe a little earlier date versus a later date. Um, it just seems to, to in that area, it just seems to work for me. Um, the next date was the 1st of November through the 7th. That one, that one probably accounted for the most, and I'm not surprised, especially with some of our guys that are in that, uh, you know, obviously the Midwestern area here that, that came in and commented on things. The 35% um, of, of their big bucks, you know, or their, their most, you know, large bucks success came in that period of time. And then um, the remaining, let's see, 25%. Um, and literally only 10% for the latter part of November, which kind of surprises me a little bit, um, which just tells me, I guess that goes back to us being, you know, mostly bow hunters that filled this out. Um, a lot of these people, they either go somewhere else, go out of state to bow hunt. Um, and you know, when the gun seasons kick off, I know there's, um, you know, gun seasons usually right around the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th in a lot of places, um, you know, in Ohio, Tennessee, it's closer towards Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving. Um, I know there's plenty of other Southern states that are similar to the same, or they've got really, really long extended gun seasons. Um, Louisiana, those places, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, they have long gun seasons. So I would assume those guys that, that bow hunt those areas, you've got to really grind it out and, uh, you know, and, and get out there where those guys are, you know, have, you know, advantage using rifles and, and long range pursuit of these big deer. But it does kind of pinpoint a couple things. It tells you, you better be in the woods from the 25th of October through the 15th. You better be somewhere. If the weather's good, I can tell you a couple other things that goes along with that, and we'll dial into that as we move forward here. Because um, I'm, I'm dragging a little bit, but um, the you know we'll touch on those in just a second. But if you are gonna hunt and you only got certain vacation days to burn, the 25th of October through November 15th would be when I would be doing it. So, all right, let's move to the next one. Uh, most important factor in choosing a set for a big buck. Um, I put AM, PM, midday. That doesn't really make a difference. Um, this one, I put a general on here for weather. And then I put high pressure, low pressure for barometer. Um, wind, rain, sunny, wind speed, wind direction. Um, and then I had other on there. Other didn't really account for anything. What's funny is we're going to combine the wind direction, also the wind, and that accounts for 50%. Not surprised. If you're not playing the wind and thermals, then you're going to lose the game. Um, I'm sure a lot of the people that answered weather in general, which was 20% of these people, um, they, I'm sure that they were they were thinking wind as a whole, and they were looking for those, you know, thinking bluebird, and they may not even really realize that they were thinking high pressure day, or, um, but that's that's kind of where that falls into that too, and the barometer kind of hits at um, another portion of that, uh, you know, the remaining amount is the barometer. Uh, high pressure is good. Um, I do like a high pressure system day. Um, 
again, this kind of falls into, you know, that time of year. If I got a high pressure day between the 25th of October and the 15th of November, you better believe even, even later November, you know, even early, anytime I get high pressure, I like to be out there. Um, obviously playing the wind, we could get into wind speed. We can get into wind directions. We could get into all that. I used to log all those things and I had an ongoing Excel spreadsheet. Those of you that know me know that, I'm super anal when it comes to the deer hunting side and tracked a bunch of this stuff long before there was algorithms and there was apps like, you know, whatever. I'm not even going to give you all the names of the apps that are out there, but um, there wasn't, I'll tell you, there wasn't DeerCast and there wasn't Onyx and there wasn't all that and there wasn't, um, you know, the Moon Guide and there wasn't any of those things. Uh, You know, there's a hundred other honorable mentions that we could put in there. Um, and that stuff wasn't there. So, you know, I tracked all of that, all of sightings and all of, um, when we harvested deer, um, family, friends, and anybody close to me, um, they always give me the information and I was able to put together some pretty good information and, and put me on, uh, you know, put plenty of bucks on the wall just based off of, you know, common knowledge or, or learning and, and just, you know, growing my, you know, back to the beginning, never stop learning and, uh, don't be the smartest person in the room or do what you can to, you know, to increase your, um, your knowledge. So wind speed direction and, um, weather and high pressure. That's your key weather points on this one. So we'll to the next one, um, any of these factors that you feel were success related on a big buck harvest. And what I mean by that is what um, of these options was there something that played a factor? Um, historic data, wind speed direction, barometric pressure, moon phase. Um, and historic data was huge. I know a lot of times, um, myself looking at certain things, historic data that covered 29%. Um, if a deer did something, say he's a three-year-old and he does something, there's some probability that he may do it again in, you know, just because of an imprint. And I have historic data on things, like I said, where I track stuff and did um, crazy things over the course of a year, uh, years. And a lot of the historic data showed me that um, within 24 to 48 hours, something could occur. And a lot of them were even sooner than that. Some of them were even within like a 12-hour period of time. Um, or with even a smaller window, a deer would come through a certain area, whether it be a funnel, um, whether, you know, especially around rut, um, they would start checking, uh, you know, especially if they knew that their doe families um, come in at a certain time and they would be there. So historic data, big thing. So if you're not tracking, track it. <coughs> Excuse me. The next one. Um, and these two kind of fall in, kind of coincide with each other, wind speed, direction, and barometric pressure a little bit too, kind of as a weather thing. So weather covers uh, 50% to be expected. Um, I would agree. Weather and wind and everything affects it. Uh, 20% of that was barometric pressure. Um, high pressure days, again, bluebird high pressure days with a wind speed somewhere between 5 and you know, 10, 12 mile an hour, you know, five to 15, five to 15 in the right direction and being smart about your sit 
Um, I could put you in the chips. So another one that I would say is the moon phase. Um, this one, this one really stirs the pot, I guess, on a lot of a lot of people. A lot of people say, "Oh, the moon doesn't affect the way that animals act or move or do or blah 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 blah." blah. I disagree. Like I said, I tracked for years and years and years, and I can tell you certain phases of the moon that were more productive as far as seeing deer on their feet. If you want to know more about that, um, feel free to DM me, and I'll I'll give you what I know. Um, I'm no expert by any means. There is some people that that base their whole hunting, uh, you know, career and everything on the moon stuff, and uh, so. You know, it is what it is. So, something to be said. So, barometric pressure, wind speed, historic data. So, on to the next one. Um, this one was the most important tool or item that you can carry that has led to your most big box success. Uh, and I'm just going to skim through these. There was some smart Alex stuff in here. Um, you know, weapons. Um, Rangefinder is huge. Grunt tube. Um, the hunting apps have really changed the game for a lot of people. Weather apps. Um, passion. Um, I see a lot of stuff with the apps. A lot more with the grunt. Uh, that pretty much sums it all up. Most of it is people are really happy to see the apps out there and really helping them. You know, get take the weather data and make it more. You know what I mean? And, and actually put. Uh, more information on the table for you and make you anything it's just a tool just another tool in your tool chest and you know make you be a lot more successful so um just anything you can add add it so what is the top three things that you feel led to your biggest buck harvest ever um and these this is kind of a random a little bit um knowledge historic data food plots research intel trail cams or it just happened on accident we'll call it a lucky accident um, most of it was knowledge, knowledge that the deer was there and historic data. Those accounted for 30, 32, 35%. And then trail cameras were 22, 23%. And then the other thing was just Intel. And that kind of falls into the historic data and the trail camera as well. So, um, you know, obviously Keep your historic data. Remember that stuff. Look at your trail camera pictures from years previous, especially if you're tracking a particular buck or two. Um, and you'd be surprised that they may frequent an area if they're still alive again. Um, and then use those trail cameras to get that intel, especially with the cell cams and everything out there right now. So uh, to the next one. What led to your biggest buck failure or missed opportune on a, on a big buck? Um, This one... You just plain missed him. There was a lot of that. 18% of us, we, you know, it happens. We missed. Um, lack of preparation, um, that one played a factor. Not as much. Um, equipment failure. Um, what up, Cooter? Um, poor stand location. And that one was 22%. So I think poor stand location could also be factored into 
uh, the weather being an issue, wind and thermals, um, because that could be a big a big factor. Um, nobody nobody out of everybody said the doe that blows screwed up their hunt. I can tell you how many you know a handful of times the doe that blows has screwed up some hunts for me. But uh, uh, a couple guys were some movement um, predators ruined it for them. But it looks like uh, most of it was going to be weather, poor stand location, or you just missed and lack of preparation. Um, prep is huge. You do the work. You get the results. You practice, you're confident. You know, you're confident in your equipment. It kind of irons out a whole bunch of these and makes them, you know, kind of puts the finishing touches on the stuff that that really shouldn't be... Um, you can eliminate a lot of these things. I mean, the stand locations, if you need help on stand selection, you know, call us. We do consults. We'll look at your property. We'll tell you you know, tell you where you should have stands at. We'll come out and look at it. We'll do whatever you want to do. Call, call us, you know. You know, MBK is, you know, he's good at setting stands and tribal and myself. I mean, we 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 can, you know, dial it in and, and look at the wind and look at your prevailing winds and, and really play a factor in um, not just throwing a stand up and, you know, putting a ladder stand up in a tree that Grandpa said was good, you know, years ago. Usually if Grandpa said it was good, it's probably a good tree because he probably killed some good deer out of it. But that's historic data again. So uh, we're going to the next one. Um if there's one thing you would want to learn more of or dive deeper into hearing or reading about on harvesting your top 10%, what would it be? These answers, um, you know, these really created some good things and some good topics that we're going to kind of dial into uh, in the future. I'm going to get with Tribal and MBK and we're kind of do some more stuff to tell you guys. Um, and I'll read a handful of these for you. Um, learning how to find the big deer, um, lots of questions on that. Uh, betting hunting, lots of guys want to know how to dive into the betting stuff and get close. Um, you know, they want to know how to keep the deer on camera and keep them on your property. That kind of comes in a land management thing, and, and you know, building building a doe factory or you know, keeping the, you get the does there, the bucks are going to come. Um, and you know, in providing food and having a better better habitat than your neighbors do, that'll help. And if you're on public ground, you know, there's some things that you can look for and ways, you know, better prepare for the season. Um, you know, people wanting to learn more on hill country whitetails, uh, early season scouting, um, creating bedding areas and the land management stuff. We're going to have a lot coming on that. Um, traveling and learning, learning how to read topos and deer and land features. You know, I got a lot on that. Like I said, I mentioned a book earlier. Um, there's a lot of things learning how to read land and wind and knowing deer will put more in the back of your truck and free me in your freezer. Guaranteed. I guarantee if you learn those things, you know, you're, you're going to learn a lot more. And then, you know, obviously learn, learn what you pursue, get confident, be confident. Um, you know, and, and just, you know, so there's, there's a multitude of these in here and I'm going to save some of them. I just wanted to touch on some, but I'm going to save these to dial into more and kind of give you some precise stuff. Like we said, we were going to do, um, the next thing is, uh, a couple of these really don't really play a factor into what we're doing here right now. Um, but it's like, where, where's everybody gathering all of your whitetail fixes and most of your knowledge? I thank you guys for that because it looks like a lot of you guys are tuning in and doing what you're doing right now, listening to, um, you know, 
listening to podcasts, also um, Facebook or Instagram or, you know, in a lot of YouTube. So that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to provide more. Don't be shy, guys. Reach out to us, man. Um, We're all a multitude of information in different facets. So one of us may be more well-versed in one area versus the other, um, but we're willing to share. We're willing to teach and teach you more about the land and more about the deer and more about each individual situation um, that we mentioned in those other ones, hunting bedding areas or hunting the hill country or looking at um, land and terrain features and and those things. So um, stay tuned to our YouTube, like, subscribe, follow, Top 10% Hunting. Um, Also, uh, there as well, our Facebook page, um, Top 10% Hunting, and then there's the headquarters page, Top 10% Hunting Headquarters um, for the store. Um, we do have a new website that's dropping. Uh, it's up and running now. It will keep getting better. Um, it's out there. It's Top 10% um, percent Hunting at um, .com, just Top 10% Hunting, all one word. And uh, if you guys want to get on there, we will be having e-commerce added to that and a bunch of other things coming down the pipe. So it's going to be some good stuff there. And uh, you'll be able to get uh, all of our content as well is going to come into one place. So um, let's see. Upcoming topics and things that you guys want to hear. Um, that's kind of why we were driving this whole, um, you know, this whole survey is we wanted to know what, what we can do to help you. What can we talk about? You know, all these podcasts are always the same. I want to get some of these guys that are grinders out there and guys that are are doing the things and putting big bucks on the ground, whether they're public or private or what they're doing. I want to get different angles from them. Sometimes I want to hear the story. Sometimes I want to hear what is the specific tactic that they want to dial into and share with us so we can share it with you. Whether it be, you know, lots of people want to hear about land management. Lots of people want to hear about successful hunts. You're going to get successful hunts. I'm going to try and mix those in as well. Um, You know, hunting style and tactics and DIY stuff. And then we're even going to squeeze in some filming and photography stuff. Um, I kind of want to put some of that out there because there's a lot of guys that are self-filming and doing different things. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, different options and, you know, in different ways to go about that. Um, you know, your phone's a great tool. Um, you know, there's a lot of inexpensive DSLRs out there, and you can watch eBay and Marketplace, and you can find some pretty good stuff, pretty good deals on some pretty good quality, you know, filming equipment. And you know, even if you're just filming, you know, to save it for your family and, and keep those memories, you know, alive for, to show to your kids and grandkids and whatnot, that's it's great to have. So, um, so yeah, stay tuned. I mean, we're gonna have uh, land management, food plot stuff is obviously gonna be a big. Uh, you guys want to see a lot of that. The style of hunting and tactics, you, you know, we're gonna squeeze that a little bit too. Um, try and get some different angles, maybe even um, some different different types of hunting on here. I'm not sure where that'll go, um, but uh, the biggest thing is just trying to teach and learn. Um, that pretty much covers everything that we had throughout those questions. Like I said, if you haven't filled out the book poll, go in there and fill out the questions, answer them. You know, I froze it today before the podcast. So anybody that comes in new, um, will get any of those new results as a different one. Um, and, and we can do this again. You know, we can go through, if you guys got more questions or something you want to find out more about, um, you know, feel free again, DM me. Um, and, uh, we will, you know, we'll dive in, um, other things up and coming again youtube new drops um hunts we got some hunt stuff coming 
Um, new hunt steer stuff is going to be rolling out fast. Um, I know Cooter's working hard. Uh, I know he's just about got my stuff finished up. Um, I know that we've got some more stuff coming. Uh, we've got some stuff that we've been holding on to um, that we're getting ready to drop. So season's here, guys. Uh, get out there. Um, you know, hopefully you guys have some great luck and, you know, get yourselves in the woods, get your family in the woods. Hopefully we had a bunch of, you know, successful youth hunters here in Michigan as well. If you have, we'd, we'd like to, to talk about that story and share that with everybody and everybody in the, the listener world. So, um, again, if you got a success story or you, you get out there and you're, you're grinding and you're doing something and you're, you're killing big deer, let's talk about it. You know, reach out. We'll get you on here. But uh, again, thank you guys to all who joined on the live tonight and everybody that has uh, followed along on the podcast and, and also on our YouTube as well. Um, and uh, again, stay tuned for more. It's coming. And I think the next one, uh, you guys get to hear the story um, on My Deer from Kentucky. And then uh, we'll just keep it moving. So headed out of town myself to do something a little bit different that I also do um, and fish this weekend. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have some stories on that too, just to change it up a little bit. But uh, nonetheless, thanks again, guys, for joining us. And uh, tune in to the next one.